Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Xvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of the sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Xvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep will drive purpose-driven activities in a way that will create new normals and impact your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10%, Exvoyant can help you create a sales dynasty faster than you ever thought possible. We're excited to announce the release of the Exvoyant Sales Leadership eBook. This book features secrets of some of the world's greatest sales leaders. You'll be introduced to coaching tactics, the building blocks of high growth, and other insights you can apply to help how you lead your team. This book is free, no strings attached. So head to exvoyant.com, download the book, read it, and share it today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by Joe Caprio, Vice President of Sales for Chorus.ai. Chorus.ai is leading the charge in the conversation intelligence world and uses AI to help leaders develop better salespeople. I'm excited for Joe to share more about Chorus with us on this show. Prior to joining Chorus, Joe was the head of sales at Insight Squared. He was the first rep hired there, employee number nine, And over the next six years, he held about every position on the sales team. First manager, rebuilt the mid-market team, rebuilt the BDR team, and then put together their training and enablement function before eventually taking over to lead the entire department. He spent seven years working with the sales, sales ops, and sales enablement functions at some of the fastest growing startups in the world. And I am super pumped for the conversation we're going to have today. Joe, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Rob, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for weeks, so I'm very appreciative. Yeah, you and me both. I, and 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 this is going to be a good one. Uh, Joe and I met at the Stevie Awards. Joe, congratulations for uh, Chorus cleaning up and taking some gold Stevies out of there. Uh, for those that don't know, the Stevie Awards are the uh, business version and sales version of the Academy Awards, and Chorus walked out of there with uh, a couple of golds, right? We had some hardware. We won a couple of golds. We won, uh, four bronze, um, some, in some decent categories too. Uh, we, we took a new sales enablement platform. We took, uh, uh, best add on to a CRM and we took, uh, exciting AI in, in tech. So I was, uh, I was thrilled to be there, but, but I mean, Rob, like congrats to you. I, I forget what it was. It was like six years in a row or. Yeah, we, well, I won a bunch individually, but, but Exvoyant got uh, sales technology provider of the year. But that's why you and me are, are good, are good match. I mean, you, you're changing the world of sales and, and that's what we try to do here. And that's what the show's about, Joe, is, as you know, people that take what the market gives and then some. And that is absolutely what Chorus has done. And I think that's a great way to start, brother. Will you share with our listeners the Chorus story? What does Chorus do? Uh, and, and how are you using AI to change how leaders lead their teams? 
Got it. Okay. Um, so this is this is an interesting one. I think I think chorus is um, chorus is here at the inflection of a new technology and a really old problem. The problem of uh, sales leaders not being able to join every call. Sales leaders not having visibility or trust into what their salespeople are saying on the phones. Sales leaders having a hard time disseminating the tribal knowledge of what their top reps are doing down to what their underperformers or what their new reps need to learn how to do. Sales leaders having a hard time making time for coaching or making time to truly inspect pipeline. And you think about the way we used to solve this problem, it would be through, you know, rep one-on-ones or, or through, you know, reading CRM notes. The change or the shift in technology is voice. And you, and you look at what's happening right now with some of the biggest and best tech companies in the world, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, Google, they're all fighting over voice. And what's happening as a result of that is we're starting to find new and exciting ways to use NLP, natural language, and, um, and transcription. And so what Chorus actually does is we've created a bot that will join your sales meetings behind the scenes, seamless, record those interactions you have with your prospects and your customers, and then automatically and in real time, transcribe those meetings into text, and then automatically pull out those key moments that you wish your sales rep would put in the CRM and you wish your sales rep would bring to a one-to-one. <laughs> and so Chorus is here to use new AI technology to solve an age-old problem. We're going to tell you what's happening on the phone calls. We're going to tell you where your reps are missing the mark. We're going to tell you what your customers actually want from you. And we're not going to make you guess about it. We're going to give you real insight into the conversations that you're having. I love it. I, and and I'm a fan of what you do. I mean, our, both of our companies are in it, some common sites, you know, places like Adobe and, and several other uh, market leaders. And, and it's interesting because we're both also donating our tech to uh, University of Texas at Dallas. And it's been amazing to watch. I was talking to Howard Dover. He's like, the combination of Chorus with what you guys do with the intelligence, com- uh, uh, the conversation intelligence, plus with what we're doing with the one-on-ones with X1, our, 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 our pipelines are up 200% year over year. And uh, so it's fun to work with a guy like you that gets the importance of intentional improvement. And and I think Chorus is doing amazing work in helping leaders understand with reps, how do we help you intentionally improve rather than just work harder? Is that, is that a fair like way of looking at it with what you guys are doing? No, no, that's, that's perfect. I think, um, you know, we all like to go back and insight, like you, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. Um, and then I think about some of the studies that our research team has done where, We'll, we'll take a, a series of recordings of, of sales calls and then we'll compare what was talked about on the, on the call to what made it into your CRM. And we're seeing that less than 5% of the information that gets relayed on an wow. average sales call, less than 5% of that information makes it into Salesforce. So and can I ask a question about that? Can I, can I interrupt yeah. that? I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I'm not going to ask what can I just freaking did. So my bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, man. It's your show. <laughs> no, that's a big that's a big stat. I don't want to move past that, Joe. Five percent makes it in. So, can you tell me, like, generally speaking, what's in the five percent that makes it? And then yeah, I want to course. talk about what are some of the big things that don't. So, people, I mean, that's that's a killer insight from you guys. Well, I mean, you think about 
credit, right? The, the nature of a CRM, it's, it's on average, it's, it's stage, it's closed date, it's value. And then there is a handful between five and eight custom fields. And those custom fields represent your exit criteria or your sales methodology. And so what we've done in CRM is use it as a proxy for the, for the health of the opportunity. We have 10 meetings over the course of four months before we close a deal. And all 10 of those meetings are supposed to somehow fit into this framework in CRM. You know, budget authority need timing or medic or whatever it might be. And so what happens is a rep has their call. They fill in those those basic, you know, note fields in Salesforce because they're required to. And then they have four more calls after where that information gets updated on the call, but the rep doesn't fill it in anymore. And it's the nature of how we inspect pipeline and how we do one-to-ones with reps. We look at the 15 deals a rep is working, and we look for blank fields or none fields to, to highlight that a rep didn't get that answer or didn't have that conversation. Well, what we don't realize is the note that's in that field might be six weeks old, and it might be wrong. And so when you actually analyze what's being talked about on the phone and then compare it to how much updated information we're putting in Salesforce, it really is. 5% of the information gets in there. You get a really loose set of notes into your sales methodology or your exit criteria, but they're really just satisfying the requirement of putting notes in Salesforce. They're not actually representing the real conversation in your CRM. Yeah, that is super insightful. And and I want to get into some of the aha moments that you guys are helping find as we get into the show. But we're, as, again, I apologize. I started diving in too fast. One of the things that I don't want to not, I don't want to not give our listeners, um, because I'm really excited and I know our listeners are going to be really excited with some of the, some of the aha moments that you guys have been able to help people discover. Um, I, I want to get your story though. So you've, you've shared what course is. One of the things that people really love about the show is how did you get the opportunity to be the sales leader of such a killer organization? What, which maybe the high level of your personal story that led you to chorus? Uh, I think it's dumb luck, uh, just being in the right place at the right time. And I call um, bullshit on that. <laughs> no, no, but, but honestly, I was, I was a customer is, is the, is the short story, but, but kind of expanding on it a bit. Um, I was the head of sales at a company called Insight Squared in Boston and we had like a 75 person org. Uh, BDR, AECS, and, and uh, you know, enablement and training rolled up. Great company, by the way. Inside Score is a great company. Yeah, I'm a current customer, um, so I agree with you. But uh, I had I had a 75 person team that rolled up to me, and we were about to promote 15 BDRs into an account exec role, and I was paranoid. I was nervous as heck. Um, you know, I, I felt like I had a, a a good team, like smart people, hardworking people, but everybody was kind of green. And it was like, you know, like the, the blind leading the blind. So I had first time um, reps coming out of college. They do the BDR job for a year. Then they'd become an account exec. They'd do that for a year and they'd want to move up to mid market or into, into management. And so the entire staff in front of me on average, every single year, 50% of the team had less than a year's tenure. And it's because we were doing that classic venture backed hyper, hyper, hyper growth mode where we double year after year after year. Well, between doubling your team and losing some people, you end up with more than half your team being a rookie. And so I needed some kind of product, some kind of platform to help me prepare these young reps for, for their next role. And then also allow me to inspect what they were doing once they got promoted. And so I went out and I tested the market. I met a few other vendors. I settled on Chorus and I became really, really friendly with their CEO and ended up kind of coming on as like a pseudo advisor. And so for the next year, I used Chorus on the sales team at Inside Squared. I cut my ramp time in half on that cohort of people that I hired. It used to take me seven months to get them productive or get them to, to be, you know, the average product productivity of a veteran. And I did it in four months. So I shaved three months off of my ramp time for 50 people. Rob, it's like I added 45 months of, of, of quota attainment for the company. 
just from just from promoting 15 people, I actually I actually added 45 extra months because I shaved three months off times 15 people. That's I also killer. increased yeah, I also increased the overall win rate, and I did it all just by recording what good looks like and then showing the reps that were struggling, taking your top salespeople and, and taking what they're doing on the phone, and then making these really you know well curated automatic playlists that your other reps could go in there and watch and study. We started to build quizzes. What does a good call look like? We had peers reviewing each other's calls and then watching them in film review. I had peer-to-peer coaching. I had manager to rep coaching. And then I started to get the entire company in on it. My product team started listening to calls. My marketing team started listening to calls. My reps started clipping the five minute inter- five minutes of the call that were technical and sharing that clip with the sales engineer. We started shaving time off our cycles. We had inspectability. It was amazing. And so then when my time was up at Inside Squared, my wife makes fun of me. She's like, you know, you interviewed with like 10 companies when you finally finished at Insight. <laughs> I knew the, I knew the entire time, like we were going to chorus. You hadn't stopped talking about them for a year. So, um, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's my background and how, how I landed here, but I, I that's honestly, an amazing story. Yeah. I mean, I really couldn't have been luckier. I, I, I believe this is a new category. I believe this is a rocket ship and I was just lucky enough to be one of the first people to, to kind of get interested and, and meet the team here. All right, so I'm going to want to pick your brain on a few uh, few lessons that's learned on how to in, how, how to get into high growth mode and, and 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 things you've done. That that concept of getting 45 months of quota attainment, that's something that I hope turned a lot of heads. I'm slowing down on that one. I'm restating it for you a time or two because that's big dollars. I mean, that's mm-hmm. massive dollars. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes you a legend inside a company, right? Well, Rob, it's 25% lift if you think about it. I I promoted 15 people who would normally take seven months to ramp, which means for the last five months of the year, I get I get full production out of them. Yeah. But I got them to that point in four months, which means I had three extra months of productivity. So instead of getting five months, I got eight months of productivity from the, from these reps. When you actually model it out, it's like promoting 125% of the people you promoted. But you don't pay him. You don't need the pipeline for him. You just get an extra 25% production from them. It's shaving a quarter, an actual calendar quarter off of your ramp time. So I'm now working with some of the biggest and fastest growing companies in the world, companies that are hiring 100 people this year. And if I could add three months of productivity for 100 people, I mean, we were talking about like serious impact to your bottom line. Yep. Yeah, no, I can tell you, again, cards on the table for our listeners. We, we're excited to be one of your guys that are using your technology. And, uh, in fact, one of my engineering staff was like, can I listen to those sales calls and hear how it's going? Can I hear what the customers are saying about this and this? And when you were telling me that's what you were doing, I was like, yeah, that resonates. I had one of my top engineers yesterday asking at a lunch that we did if they'd be able to listen to some of the, the chorus conversations. I'm like, yeah, of course. So Rob, that's the best part is we don't even, we don't even really talk about that. You go on our website, you go to course.ai and it's all about like how sales enablement leaders can build onboarding programs and how sales managers can inspect their deals and how sales reps can go back and watch the call they just had and pay more attention to the, to the customer and the prospect and, and understand how, you know, the way they're selling, how it makes the, the prospect feel and they can adapt and sell better. That's what's on our website. What we don't really talk about a ton is the, 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 you know, silos that exist in your company. And you've got engineers building features that they never get to see the customer enjoy or, or not enjoy. You've got product managers doing like a very limited number of customer interviews before launching a new feature. Right. You've got marketers writing content and writing copy without really being able to see how those leads perform 
on the calls. And so the obvious use cases for a call recording software are to improve your sales reps and, and to yeah. more of your deals. But behind the scenes, the companies that are really leaning in on this and, and you know, holding like meetings with the sole intent of, of understanding the voice of the customer, the voice of the customer dictates your roadmap. It dictates your messaging. It dictates your sales motion or it doesn't and you're guessing. And those are the best companies we work with, the ones that are actually listening to what their customers are saying. I'm really glad to hear you say that because I was like, oh, that's really cool that my engineering staff wants to hear that. My product head of product was there. He wants to listen. So, so I'm really glad to hear that's the best practice. So that's a good way to shift into what I wanted to talk about, Joe. Um, I wanted to talk about, as you know, our show's about how do you get into high growth mode. You've got a really awesome viewpoint because you've helped a couple of companies, iconic companies, companies that our listeners will for sure be aware of, get into high growth mode and more importantly, stay there. Um, you just talked about how listening to the voice of the customer, not just as salespeople, but in all the other parts of the company is a way to get into high growth mode. So you develop the right things, you have the right marketing, et cetera. Let's start talking about that. What are some things that you've found in your experience help you get a company into high growth mode and then stay there? Okay. I think that there are, there are three pieces to this. Uh, the first one is, is, is less in your control than you might think. Um, you have you have to have good product market fit. You have to have a growing market. You have you have to be at the at the crest of like a the evangelical change. You know, like the world has changed, and therefore, like this is this is something. So you need you need an actual um, like white hot space, white hot idea, or or a massive massive problem that that's not already saturated. Um, the next thing you need are the basics. So you've got like, um, you know, Aaron Ross wrote a book, Mark Roberts wrote a book. You can, you can find this, you know, blitz scaling is out there, but you need some kind of, um, either, either a blueprint or at least a mentor to kind of help you get the basics down. Things like a customer oriented approach, things like, um, you know, clear, clear sales process, clear exit criteria, clear fields that you're going to track what your customers are asking you for. Those are the basics. The thing that I've really figured out or, or that I've experienced myself is as your company grows, you're going to have to accept the fact that your first sales hire cares less than you do. Founding, selling CEO, <laughs> right? That's and, super you know insightful, Joe. That's super <laughs> I mean, insightful. It, they care less. It's not their baby and they're not going to get as rich as you if it works. And the next person that that sales leader hires cares even less than the sales leader. And the person after that carries even less and they're less talented and they're less capable. And so we just have to have an honest and like real look in the mirror that we are going to continue to grow and scale by hiring people that are less motivated, less intense about it, less passionate and, and probably less experienced and less capable than you. And so what worked for the CEO is not the same pitch that's going to work for the, for the selling VP. And that selling VP's pitch is not going to work when they get 10 reps underneath them. And when you have a hundred reps, it's certainly not going to work anymore. And so what you need to do early on, no matter what phase you're in, you know, selling CEO, selling VP sales, small, small sales team, scaled out sales team, massive, massive sales org at every phase in your company's maturity, you're going to have to adapt and change. And the best way to adapt and change is to just put little monitoring tools, whether it's tighter requirements in Salesforce, you know, tighter one-to-ones or record your calls, right? Not to get super pitchy, but record your calls. What you're going to have to do is you're going to have to find a way to capture what's working and then disseminate that tribal knowledge to the rest of the group. 
the best and fastest growing companies in the world are the ones that can identify what their top people do and then get their underperformers and their laggards and their new hires to figure it that out as fast as possible. I don't think everyone should be a drone and a clone. I do think that you should be able to insert your personality and, and should be able to, you know, be yourself on the phones. But if you could start by racing to the point where you have all the knowledge that the veterans have, you will have a shorter ramp and a faster time to productivity. So find a way to share that tribal knowledge. All right. So that is three killer points. And I want to settle in on number three, because I think that that is a really unique viewpoint that we haven't heard before on this show, like awareness that they're not going to care as much as you. Their story is not going to be the same as your story. That's pretty insightful. I mean, I've had a lot of people say, get the best people and, you know, create an environment where the motivated can win. And I've had a lot of good insights around those from our leaders. But I really like this idea that, you know, we have to find a way to help people that aren't going to have the same intrinsic motivation find their own ways to create new normals. And so can you start to dive into that a little bit? What are some best practices? I love this idea of better monitoring tools. How do you find ways to to individualize? How do you find, because that's what's screaming at me right now, Joe. Maybe I'm misinterpreting, so tell me if I am, but it sounds to me like the leader has to find a way to have a better individual connection with the individual rep. Am, am I hearing you right? No, I, I think you're totally right. It, it's um, it's in line with like um, like a personalized or a tailored coaching plan versus, you know, group coaching or coaching for the masses. Um what, what I'm, what I'm really talking about is I'll, I'll tell you a, f- a f- funny but embarrassing story about early days at Insight Squared. All right. Hit so, me. I can't wait. Yeah. Early days at Insight Squared. We didn't know who we were. Um, we, we had launched a reporting software. We, we, I always say we, we had started with staffing and then we were launching into the Salesforce ecosystem. So we didn't exactly know who the target buyer were, buyer was like company profile, <laughs> actual contact role. We didn't know any of it. And so we're having this round table. And it's, it's, you know, we had like five BDRs and like three account execs. It's the entire team at this point. And we're in the war room. You know, we've got the head of sales. We've got the CEO. We've got the head of product. Everyone's in a room and we're trying to figure out, you know, what's working, what's not working. And so we're going around and we're saying like, when does it go bad? When does a call not work out? Like who does buy from us? And, and so finally one of the BDRs says, you know, we do really well with companies that have two names. And I said, um, you know, um, what do you mean, Andrew? Do you mean like, um, like a DBA? And he said, no, no, no. Like the name is too, like, like our name, Insight Squared. It's, it's, it's two words squished together. And, and I, I lost what? Yeah, what? <laughs> I laughed and I said, well, what do you, like, what do you mean by that? And really what he was talking about is, is this like this funky trend in, in SaaS where we like to make up company names, Insight Squared, you know, um, like, like Clear Slide. Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. Um, right. And so he was actually just pointing at the fact that we were having a lot of success with venture back tech, but because oh. we hadn't had that conversation as a, as a group, because we hadn't shared that with him, we hadn't built out a playbook. I had a Got team it. of BDRs that didn't realize our direct center bullseye of our ICP was SAS and, and venture back SAS specifically. And you start to play that out through the entire organization. Does your product team know that your target buyer is in rapid growth mode? Or are they just building a general product for, for, for general, right? Does your ah. BR team know? Does your sales team know? When you're writing talk, does your marketing team know? So what happens is some of the folks on your team 
they find this aha moment and they explain it in a really, you know, rough, immature way. Companies with two names. <laughs> but it's actually That's brilliant. That it's is an cool. awesome story. I love this. I'm right? sorry you're up to keep going, man. I love this. No, this no, it's so fine, funny. right? No, no. But but think about it. This this guy, you're less than six months out of college, figured out who we should sell to. It's a shame that we made him figure it out, but it's signal. There are people on your team that are just having these like wow moments, these aha moments, and then not finding a way to share it out with the rest of the group. And that's the thing that I'm talking about. And if you can if you can find a way to tap into that. There are brilliant people on your workforce that are having like real revelations every day. And then the next person in line, the person that sits next to them is not benefiting from that knowledge. That's what the best, fastest growing companies are trying to solve. All right. So that's cool. I mean, so is that a cultural thing that you have this culture of sharing? And I imagine there's cultural aspects to it. There's tool and technology related aspects to it to make it so it's generally available. And, and so I, I like this. I want to dive down into this. I want to kind of peel that back a little bit. How do you, how do you create, what do you have to do to create an environment where you are able to learn from each other? And they are, cause you know, sometimes I see teams that they feel like, uh, their ability to, to sell is like their strategic advantage. And some, I see companies where sometimes reps feel like it's a zero sum game and if, mm-hmm. Do you, does that, are you, are you with me? Do you see where I'm going? No, I'm, I'm so with you. Like, and you know what the worst part is? It, it starts in their, it starts in their first role when, when, when you, most, most salespeople these days are starting as a BDR. Like that's your entry, that's your entry point. When I came out of college, the BDR didn't really exist. So. Right. Same with me. <laughs> right. But now it's like you start as a BDR. And the worst part is if you figure it out as a BDR, if you find something that works for you, like maybe there's a, Maybe there's a wrinkle in your CRM where some of the leads get dumped and nobody calls them and you find those leads. Heck no, I'm not going to share that with the person that sits next to me. Those are my leads that's, now. That's what I'm talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, but you, I don't know if you did this on purpose to help me or, or if it just came out naturally, but you're right. It's a culture. That's where it has to start. It has to start from the top and you can't fake it. So I sell a product that will automatically capture like, like this, this, these insights, it will automatically record all the calls and tell you what you're missing, what trends, what new topics are coming up, what your customers are asking for. But even just having a product like this is not enough. It has to start from the top. It has to start with leadership and they have to have a genuine, earnest curiosity about their customer. They have to truly, truly want to understand not just what the pain point is so I could sell them, right? Not just where they live so I can find them but how they actually do their job, what their day-to-day routines and their workflows are and what makes life hard for them. And you have to really want to open up your ears and listen to your customer. And if you have that genuine desire to help your customer, not to win the customer, but to help the customer, then your actions will represent that. And you'll have meetings at your company. You'll have like open forums and discussions and you'll find ways to, to, to reveal this data whether it's in your CRM or, or in, you know, your conversation intelligence or, you know, in your Google analytics or, you know, in your customer interviews, like every interaction you have with a customer, if your mindset is to better understand them, to help them, and then you bring that back to your company, the rest of the team will follow suit. You have to be customer obsessed. You have to be customer focused. So how much of this is creating as part of that culture or expectancy that, hey, guys, if we're going to be in the sales org, sales world, and I don't care what the role is because there's a, there's a ton of roles that we could all have, 
This comes down to we've got to speak with that voice. It's not just hear the voice of the customer. We actually got a, a common friend of both of ours, Doug Landis, good friend of mine mm-hmm. and I know good friend of yours. That's something that every time I talk to Doug, he's hammering is, are you speaking with the customer's voice? I mean, how important is that if you want to build this kind of a cult culture? Uh, oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's paramount. It's number one. Doug, Doug said something to me early on. So I was, I was very, very fortunate when I was at Insight Square that Mark Roberts from HubSpot was, on, was an advisor and I got to meet with Mark Roberts once a month for, for the better part of like three years. Wow. That's awesome. Like, yeah, yeah, super, super lucky. Then I moved to California to take a job at Chorus and they replaced Mark Roberts with Doug Landis. And so I'm, again, <laughs> I always say this, I am the luckiest person on the planet, right place, the right time. I just lucked into the right companies and therefore ha- had the opportunity to work with Mark and, and with Doug. Doug said something to me early on in my time here. We were working on messaging and he said, this messaging framework that you have is good. You'll win deals on it. It very, very clearly articulates the pain point that you solve and how you solve it. People will buy this. I said, all right, good, let's move on. And he said, no, no, <laughs> not good. I said, this messaging was good. I didn't say it was right. He said, I want you to think about what your customers' customers will be able to do better because of this product. And I said, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand. I'm not selling to my customers' customers, right? And he said, no, no, think about it. Your desire is to make your customers successful so they renew with you. Well, your customers' desire is to make their customers successful so they'll renew. So you need to start thinking about what your product can do for your customer's customer. That was amazing to me. That was a change moment for me. Joe, that's an awesome insight that I think our listeners are really fortunate because I've been, I've been fortunate like you to have some of those, you know, half day and full day sessions with, with Mr. Landis where he, it's like a wrestling match sometimes. He doesn't let you off the freaking mat, dude. It's He's true. just challenging you and challenging you and, but it's, it's a game changer. So sharing that with our listeners, I think, is an awesome insight because I, I, I can relate. I had my version of that conversation with him, and it's a shut-door thing that you say, let's move on. No, we're not. <laughs> and, right. And I, I think that's a really good insight because uh, you start speaking with that voice. It's not like you're trying to just – you're not just trying to sell them something. That's when they really, truly start to listen to you, I think, at least in my experience. No, I agree with you. I think it's, um, like it's, it's in vogue right now, the customer journey, right? And yeah. it has been for a few years now. Replace your seller steps with buyer stages, right? Like I, I think like, um, like Bezos and Amazon have, have kind of led the charge on my like customer obsession. And I think a lot of companies are starting to follow suit, but I just don't know if they, if they found a way to, to, you know, carry that out or spread that out through the entire org. Um, I had a rep that worked for me once. He said it best. We, we were doing like a really, really deep focus, like months on customer, on customer journey and, and customer, um, centric selling. And he said to me, all right, let me, let me try and explain this. He said, if I remove my company from the equation and I remove my needs from the equation and I pretend the only thing that matters is this prospect succeeding, the only thing I care about is helping this customer succeed. Then I'll be behaving in a customer centric way. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> right? So but good. it's true though. Like how many times do you do a discovery call and what you're looking for is the first pain point that you can pitch to? Right? And as soon as they tell you something that that's wrong with their company, you launch into an assault on how you could solve that. Therefore pay me. And all the work we do with our customers is to get paid. Every yes. time we ask them a question, we're hunting for weakness that we can use against them. Everything they reveal to us, we write it down so we can come over the top and win a deal later. And it's not the right way to approach things. If your genuine desire 
is to make that person successful, to understand their goals and their challenges, and then help them uh, accomplish their, their mission. You will make more money. You will win more deals. It will work out for you if your genuine desire is to help the customer. And so the faster you can get your whole company to realize that and pay attention to what their customers need, the faster you'll be successful. So I love everything you just said. And I, if we were like at a uh, some Southern Baptist, I'd be standing up giving you an amen right now, okay? <laughs> Hallelujah. I would be giving you an amen. I would be off my chair. My hands would be up. I'd be giving you an amen. And I would say, preach, Brother Caprio. That's what I would say. So here's my question. How do you institutionalize that? Because mm-hmm. the more you get, the more reps you get, my, my, my man, you're right. I mean, when I've heard it over and over again. I, I help, uh, like you know, I work with sales leaders around the world like you do, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard a rep say, well, they've told me with their own mouth they care about this, therefore haven't I earned the right to then dive into that? How do you How do you avoid that temptation of getting caught in that trap of using their discovery stuff against? I've never heard someone say it like that. I love how you said it, where you use that against them. How do you stop that from happening? Yeah, you know the the other one too is um the 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 frustration or the resentment that your rep has when when uh it's timing. You know, your your champion wants to prioritize other projects and then your rep pouts about it. Yes. They need to, you know, she doesn't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> right? Yes, you know, yes, go, brother Caprio, yeah. keep going. <laughs> right, but you want to shake them because it's like if they don't want to prioritize this project right now, even if you did force them to buy your product. They're not going to roll it out right. They're not going to realize the value and they're not going to be successful. So maybe you're right that you see a problem at that company. You see a weakness and your product could help them fix that weakness. But if your buyer, if your user isn't ready for it and you're still trying to jam it through, you're being selfish. You're not being customer focused. Wait, do it when they're ready and do it right. And then they'll go introduce you to their five closest friends that are in the same role. Like you have to believe in de- delayed gratification. And that's the exact same concept that, that you're asking about. How do I prevent a rep from hearing one pain point and then launching right in? Trust me, I don't, I don't have a perfect answer because I still do it. My reps still do it. But the goal, the best I can give you is to be really, really honest in film review and in meetings. And, and I don't, I don't oh, mean be good. punitive, but what? I mean call, call people out and expose them. Expose them when they're being selfish and talk about it publicly and talk about customer oriented selling, talk about customer obsession. And when your reps don't toe the line, call it out publicly. Mm-hmm. We are going to care about our customers here. We are going to put our customers first and we are going to do proper discovery with the goal of identifying and, and solving problems for people not to take their money. And so, if you so- don't do it that way, we're going to, we're going to expose it publicly. I love that. So that's in the team setting, and I get that. And I love how you 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 talk about using the culture to have everybody learn from each other. And again, we're we're that's one of the reasons people love our shows. I never know where our conversations are going to go. I warned you that before we started. I just don't know where it's <laughs> going to go. So I'm going to take it a place that we neither one of us discussed, and I, I hope it's okay. What does the role of the one-on-one play with that person? I mean, is is one-on-ones a place that you can do work there? I mean, does it? Does that come into play? What's right. your thoughts gonna, on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get real pitchy on this one, and I, I apologize in advance. But um, okay, 
we we are working with the sales enablement and sales training functions at some of the fastest growing companies out there. Like you said, Adobe, AdRoll, Qualtrics, Zoom, like some of the biggest and fastest growing tech companies in the world. And our point person is head of sales, head of sales ops, and head of sales enablement. And the head of sales enablement is, is having um, is allowing us our relationship with the head of sales enablement is allowing us to, to have a better understanding of coaching and how coaching takes place at these companies. And there are three forms of coaching that we've right. identified. Go. First I can't is, wait. Cannot wait. Perfect. Classic onboarding. Okay. You list out a curriculum. Here are the skills or the, or, the, or the information that a new hire would need in their first 90 days. You build out a list of all the sessions. It's either PowerPoint or lecture or a quiz in an LMS or a role play or whatever it might be. But this is what we're going to teach you to get you quote unquote field ready. That's the first phase of training. Okay. A lot of companies have like a loose framework. They kind of have it. They don't do it the same way every time. It's not consistent. Nobody has accreditation. Nobody's testing and nobody's going back and reinforcing after. But most companies have an onboarding program where they start to fall is in phase two, which is ongoing. You want a structured curriculum that takes place throughout the year. It's not just train people for three months and then let them go. Sales is one of the only professions in the world that doesn't have, you know, continuing ed- education. Doctors have to do it. Uh, professional athletes have to do it. Most people have to go back and continue to learn and develop their skills. Salespeople, for some reason, don't. And so what you need to do is you need to pick a small number of skills that you're going to go deep on this year. You have to schedule it. You have to assign ownership. And you have to do, you know, skill development beyond the first 90 days. The ongoing curriculum can take place as film review. It can take place as small group. It can take place in an LMS. But it has to take place, and you have to schedule it and set it up. That's phase two. That's where companies start to struggle. Phase three is where almost every company falls off the board. And that is a personalized, tailored coaching plan. This is the responsibility of the manager. Best practice is that every single person on your team is on a PDP. They are working on a specific skill, a personal development plan. You Love know, that. Sarah's working on negotiation. Billy's working on, on, on you know, um, discovery. Mark's working on, on controlling the, the, the evaluation phase. But everybody has a specific thing they're working on. And what you need to do is you need to reserve time in your weekly one-to-one for skill development, you have to coach your people. It's not enough just to let them figure it out on their own. So those three phases are, are the way to solve this. And where people are failing is the one you asked me about. Managers are coaching the deal, right? Tell me what's going on with Acme. Tell me if it's going to come in. Dude, you got to get better at this. Here's where you're broken. But they're not coaching the skill. I and love that's it. That's the problem you have to solve. Well, you know, you're speaking my language on that. That's, I, 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 you know, that that's, you're, that's why you and me are kindred spirits. So that is the best, uh, I, and mo- maybe that's but the most unique framework. Everybody talks about coaching. They give us some great tips. We've got killer ones. I love that three part framework. Thank you for sharing that. Joe, I can't believe it, man. We're, we're already running up on it. I told you this. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to reach back out to you. Our, our listeners are going to say, Rob, give that man more time. That's what they're going to tell me. I, I predict lots of emails and LinkedIn messages. Give that man more time. Um, I, but I want to finish the way we always do. And that takes a few minutes. And so I want to make sure we have a chance to do that. Um, question one that I always ask everyone, and before I do, thank you, bro. You are so good. I love the depth that you have. I love the insights that you've shared. Thank you. You've been a just awesome guest for our, our listeners. So thank you. I mean it when I say it's been a pleasure. I really do. All right. Let's wrap this up a fun way. Biggest sales leadership challenge you faced and how did you face it down? Firing friends. 
Um, Ooh, good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nobody likes it, right? Nobody likes performance management. Nobody likes putting people on pips and nobody likes walking their friends out the door. I work really, really hard to build honest relationships with the people that work with me. Um, some of my closest friends, I met my wife at Insight Squared. Some of my closest friends in the world I meet at work and I genuinely care about their success and their development and I invest in them as people. And as a result, we form real relationships and then I have to fire them sometimes. And it is very, very difficult. Mm. Is there any tips on how you do that? Any, any, uh, is it just as simple as you just got to do it or is there any, any other tips you can Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you do, right? You do just got to do it. But there are some things you can do ahead of time to try and make it softer. So um, having honest conversations ahead of time, when you spot the risk, not when the risk becomes intolerable. So when you see a problem, you have to address it. Have performance plans. Have a process in place. Don't just put people on a pip when you're trying to when you're trying to walk them out because then it's a death sentence and they know it. But give it give it to them before it's actually you know beyond the point of no return and try to coach them off that plan. And you need a handful of success stories where you've coached people off of the pip. Otherwise, as soon as somebody gets a pip, they start looking for a new job. And so put them on a pip early, be really genuine and honest about what they're going to have to do to come off that pip and then coach them hard to get off of it. Get a couple success stories, get those people proud that they were on a plan and came off a plan and then create a culture, again, a culture of honesty, culture of development and a culture of everyone working together to improve. And if we identify that you can't get off this plan and you can't get where you need to be, then I'm doing you a favor. And by then, you know what? You've probably been on the plan for a month, two months, and, and you might not be on the shelf that long. So yep. help your folks find their new job before they're like missing their mortgage. Right? I like it. <laughs> that's a good one, man. I'm telling you, that's a, that's a really, really good leadership challenge to give our leaders insights around. Second one. Um, we found that the great leaders, you know, the people like yourself that continue to find ways to raise the bar, they just are continue, they're committed to their own continuous learning. And many times what that means is readers are leaders. And I don't care if it's books. I don't care if it's blogs. I don't care if it's audibles. Uh, what should a sales leader be looking at reading uh, based on things that have helped you in your career? I think that there is a, there's a long, long list. Um, One or two. Yeah, but you've, you've probably heard it before. The one thing I would say is is to get your collection of like five or six books that you love and just read them from, from, from front to back and then go up to the top of the list again and start again. And mm. you think that you read it once and you get it, but you don't. If it's truly something you're going to incorporate, like for me, it's Sandler, it's Challenger, right? Now I'll keep reading those books over and over and over again and I'll pick up Interesting. And I'll reinforce the knowledge. The one book that I will call out specifically though is Leadership and Self-Deception. Leadership and self-deception was really profound for me because I actually realized I am the cause of <laughs> most of the problems in my life, even when somebody else is doing something wrong. And so anyone out there that has conflict at work or, or feels like things are getting political, go pick up leadership and self-deception and just give it a read. It's like a two-hour read. I can't wait. It's, that's one that no one's recommended for our library, and I'm going to put that in my, in my uh, Amazon cart right now. That's awesome. Joe, we have taken more time than I told you we would take. And I, I'm so grateful that you gave us so many awesome insights and nuggets. How do our listeners get more of you? How do they get more Joe? How do they get more chorus? How do they connect to get what you're picking up and putting down? Your company puts out killer content. You know, you're a really, I, I would say you're someone that our, our group should be following. How do they do that? It's easy. I'm Joe Cap Software on Twitter. I'm Joe Caprio on LinkedIn. I'm Joe at Chorus.ai. 
Um, come to our website, engage with our sales team. I am very, very serious about customers first. So if you want to learn more about the product or you just want to talk shop, like just come and find us and, and we're here for you. Joe, it was amazing, man. I, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Uh, he has really led the charge with some of the big companies that have changed how leaders lead and how sales teams improve. He's given us a killer blueprint on how your company can not only get into high growth mode, but they can stay there. Um, my advice is check him out, follow him, follow his company. And Joe, thank you again and happy selling. My pleasure. Thanks, Rob. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And it was really, really fun having Joe Caprio on the show. I've been excited to get this episode aired. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I love this man's perspective on on how you build and develop a great sales team. And, and as you listen to him talk, you can see why Chorus is having so much great success. Uh, I loved his his three parts on what do you do to his three his three things you have to have in in order to grow fast. One is you got to have a, a killer market, and, and certainly conversation intelligence has emerged as a must-have. Um, there are a few players in there that are doing well. Uh, Chorus is absolutely one of them, and it's 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 a must-have. Uh, he talked about the basics. He talked about needing to have a mentor or a blueprint, and we've talked about that a little bit on the show, and, and I would agree. If I look myself personally, finding mentors at every stage. You know, I used to think mentors were for when I was early in my career, and guys like Gary Rhodes and John Hyde were big mentors for me. Um, but I still have mentors now as I'm at a later stage in my career with, with other people that are super smart and I'm super grateful that are, in, that are spending time helping develop me. Guys like Greg Warnock and Doug Landis. Um, I, I agree. Without mentors at every stage, you, you're left to try to figure things out on your own. And if you want to be a high-growth sales leader, we should be really, really mindful of saying, how do I find people that are better than me, smarter than me, more more um, accomplished and experienced than me to help me at whatever phase I'm in and also what I aspire to be? But the two things that I really wanted to talk about today with um, my conversation with Joe starts with number three on his three-part way of getting into and staying into high-growth mode. I loved his uh, statement that we need to get aware that everybody we hire will very likely care less than we do. You know, Keenan always talks about you got to give a shit. And when you're the founder and CEO or when you're the first people in or maybe if you're the first, if you're the VP of sales, whatever, you're going to have a different level of caring. And the, the more people you hire, the less of a kind of cult mentality you have uh, where we've drunk the Kool-Aid and we're here to – you know, make a massive change. And, and the better you can have them have that Kool-Aid uh, drinking mentality, obviously, uh, the more successful you likely are to be. But being aware that when you go from five salespeople to 10 salespeople to 50 to 150, it, it becomes very difficult to do that because you're now hiring people that probably are less experienced, probably are less accomplished, probably are less motivated, probably are less driven, probably have less to gain. All those things I thought were really important. And the way to beat that, the way to win in spite of that is through systems. Now, Joe talked a lot about recording and things like that. I want to talk about systems in my so what. Uh, we've talked about this more than once on the show. Losers have goals. Winners have systems. 
quote uh, that you've heard people like uh, Ralph Barcy share that is, that's uh, attributed back to the creator of Dilbert. What systems do we have to make sure that the way that we're engaging customers is being done in the way that gives the greatest chance for success? We have to have systems for that. You know, uh, monitoring systems is one way of looking at it. I like to look at it as development systems. Um, what are they saying? Is it working? How do we follow up? How do we get retention? How do we get expansion? How do we land? How do we expand? You know, the re that's why we need systems because this is how we eliminate variance at scale. I'm going to say that again. The more you scale, the more variance you'll be inserting into the company. Even as I watched us launch Exvoyant, I watched the difference as we started to scale with different people. We started to introduce more variance in all these different areas. And I'm telling you, it's something that as a leader, you should be really watchful of. Because sometimes variance is good. Sometimes you find that tribal wisdom. Then you need systems on how you share it. We don't want to create unnecessary or unintended silos because we don't have ways to share what's working. But what we do want to do is make sure that we you know, move the masses. We get as many people doing it right as often as possible, but also as fast as possible. I freaking love Joe's story about how he shaved you know, ramp time in half and, and basically that was like getting 25% lift or five, 45 additional months of quota. And that's big time. That's what high growth leaders think about. That's what they do. That's what we all need to do. And the last thing that I want to talk about is he had his three types of coaching. And everyone does onboarding and, you know, most try to do ongoing. But where most companies fail, he said, was in the personal tailored one-on-ones. And I agree. I could not agree. I want to give an amen on that one as well. Joe really brought tons of insights, but this was a great way for me to finish the so what. You know, while you're building systems to make sure that you have less variance because the people don't care about what's happening with the same intensity that the earlier ones do, you better have a way of tailoring the development. I had a great sales leader talking with me a couple weeks ago that told me he thought he had great coaching. And I asked him why, and he said, well, we don't have a lot of turnover. We're hitting our number. Uh, I talk to them. We talk to our reps all the time. Talk to them every week, every day sometimes. And I feel like I know all the deals. And those four things are good. It doesn't surprise me because he has a good company. But what was missing from that, if you think about this, I just talked about it in an upcoming uh, podcast with John Barrows. Think about what's missing from those four things. Those four things are good. But what's missing is a development plan for the individual. What's your plan to get each person on your team 10% better? Because you can do it. It is time to forget about moving the middle, and it is time to make sure you have a tailored plan for every individual. And I agree with Joe said. I thank him for saying it. If you don't follow Joe, do it. If you're not looking at what Chorus is sharing, follow them and their company. Their content is killer, and their tech is legit. Uh, thank you, Joe, for joining us. Uh, you've made all of us better, and I challenge you to create great systems that tailor the development of each rep, and as you do so, you'll become legendary to everyone on your team. And I'll finish the way we always do. Don't worry, just execute, because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. 
The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exployant, the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.